Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Orlando, Jeremy Stevens versus Josh Emmett. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Orlando, Florida at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, man, uh, typical early, uh, not early, but midday Saturday sweat. It's going to be a, a good day. You know, the main event's solid. Josh Emmett shot the world his last fight against Lamas. Not too many people thought he uh, had a chance, and he gave Lamas his third or fourth canvas nap, and Stevens, is, he won two fights in a row for the first time in a while, man, so he's, uh, I mean, he's looking as good as he ever has in a in a long time, so, uh, and these two gyms, man, they got such a long history of going against each other, you know, with Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber and Benavidez and all those guys, and uh, they're going to have another edition of the rivalry again. You know, this is the first win streak my boy Jeremy Stevens has been on since he knocked out Honey Jason and actually went out there and beat Josh Emmett's teammate, Darren Elkins. So there definitely is some history between the two. And, you know, normally Shaq is in studio with me, but for a second week in a row, we are over the phone because the show must go on. And, man, how good does it feel to get back in the win column with another Max Bet winner? Oh, yeah, man. It was a good weekend, especially after, you know, unfortunate two losses in a row but um you know morono took care of business as expected and uh i'm glad they lined it like they lined it you know it's so funny because when you lose an event it's because you suck but when you win an event you know you can't do anything right even when you win an event when you win an event it's because oh because you bet a fucking big favorite but actually Shaq. When we were talking about betting Murano, we were like, listen, man, you know, he's probably going to be minus 400. He's probably going to be minus 500. We fucking max bet this guy at minus 240 against Josh Berkman, who's 1-11 in his last 12 UFC appearances, Shaq. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of people can say things, but at the end of the day, did they bet it, you know? And, you know, I let them bicker amongst each other and gossip amongst each other, but, uh, it is what it is. I got the win, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> At the end of the day, uh, I'd love to see their uh, three-year track record. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? Because men lie, women lie, but numbers don't lie. And when you search best fight picks on any of the third-party trackers, you know exactly that you're dealing with the best in the biz. But let's get right down to business, man, because this is a great card start to finish. And first up... In the bantamweight division, we got Manny Bermudez. He's minus 170. The comeback on Albert the Warrior Morales is plus 150. Now, I got to tell you what, Shaq. This kid, Manny Bermudez, has some very slick submissions. I mean, on the regional scene, he's tapping dudes out left and right. And some of them don't even get a chance to tap. They go to sleep right away. But now he's taking on a guy in Morales who's literally been in there with some of the elite. He's been in there with Alejandro. He's been in there with Tomas Almeida, Brett Johns. So this is actually a step down in competition for Albert Morales. The question is, will he finally rise to the occasion and get that second UFC win? You know, it's uh, it's tough to say. Like you said earlier, Albert Morales, he, he has had a tough go at things. I mean, and he is... He is in a must-win situation. This is it. I mean, we can say all we want. He had tough opponents, this and that, but you got to be able to deal with it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we know Albert Morales is super tough, but, you know, I've always felt like his hands have always been his weakness, and I, I really don't feel like they're improving at the rate that you think they would have by now. Um, so, you know, I'm under the impression that, you know, his striking just is what it is. That's just what it's going to be. But he's a workman. He's a guy that likes to rely on his toughness now. As far as Manny Bermudez goes, you know, a lot of people don't know is he actually comes from the same gym as uh, Josh Grisby. As, uh, you remember when Josh Grisby took over the WC back in the day? And, you know, the same type of, you know, low percentage, these flashy submissions, these these uh, flying 
triangles or whatever the fuck Bermudez likes to do, these crazy moves. He's he's just like Grispy in a sense, man. He likes to pull off these big, crazy submissions. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he can consistently do that in the UFC, especially against someone that's got the experience level, uh, experience level of uh, Albert Morales. Now, in the first round, I think it's going to probably be very hairy for Morales, especially on the mat, because we've seen Bermudez's fights, and I mean, he uh, has a serious jiu-jitsu onslaught, you know what I'm saying? He's like a like a, a little theory from last week, uh, Roberto Sanchez, you know? Early on, the jiu-jitsu onslaught is going to be a lot to handle, but at the end of the day, Manny Bermudez strikes me as the type of guy that if you can survive his jiu-jitsu onslaught, which no one in his career has, he's never dealt with anyone that can stop it. If you can deal with it and touch his face, he, he strikes me as the type of guy that, you know, he might not know what to do. He might, he might uh, look for a way out. So I feel like Albert has to make this ugly. He has to be very cautious early. But I feel like in rounds two and three, he can run away with this, man. I feel like Bermudez has never been in these pressure situations under the bright lights. The UFC is a whole different ballgame. You know what I'm saying? You're not fighting in CES and cage things anymore. And granted, I know Albert Morales, historically, by the numbers, doesn't win fights. But this could be that perfect spot for him. This is a must-win situation. He has no other option to win. So uh, I'm going to go with Albert Morales here. I think Bermudez needs more experience. I think he needs to... Uh, I don't think he has the confidence in his hands. I don't even think his hands are bad at all. I just think that uh, he might panic for the first time in his life when uh, he's not getting quick subs. You know, it's interesting you say that he's never been tested before because on paper, that's true. He is undefeated. But uh, when you go back and you watch that fight against Saul Almeida, we all know who got broken in that fight. And it wasn't Saul Almeida. It was Manny Bermudez. It was Manny Bermudez who had no clue what to do in the second and third rounds when his submission game wasn't working. And it was... Uh, you know, the commentators were like, are you serious? They gave that fight to Manny Bermudez, you know, Michael Chavello and Pat Militich. They were going crazy. They couldn't believe the atrocious robbery that was Manny Bermudez versus Saul Almeida because that's what happens when you get past the first round with this kid. Look, in that first round, he's a destroyer with his submissions. I mean, he'll get you with inverted triangles, a nice guillotine, everything in the book. But if somehow you can survive that shit... He's going to break because you know the deal with these explosive jujitsu guys. You know, these guys that are first-round sub or bust. You know, the Ian Entwistles of the world. The Husimar Paul Harris. Even Paul Harris, even though he's got submission wins over Jake Shields and John Fitch, which is super admirable, you saw what happens when he doesn't get the submission. It's a, you know, first-round leg lock or bust quit, quit. type ordeal. Even, even though Shields was a third-round submission. But... But bottom line, the history uh, is out there for anyone to see. And most of the time, when he doesn't get that sub in the first round, he quits. And I have a feeling, I have an inkling, I have a suspicion that Manny Bermudez is one of those guys as well. So the way I would recommend approaching this fight from a betting perspective is you bet Albert Morales as the dog, and then you you hedge it with uh, Manny Bermudez by submission. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? Because... You know, that way, most likely, you're going to win. Watch fucking Bermuda's win by goddamn knockout or decision, right? But, look, Manny Bermuda's, in my opinion, he only has a submitter's chance. And it's a good one. I mean, the kid's nasty on the mat. But a kid like Albert, you know, who's been in there with Brett Johns, been in there with Tomas Almeida, Alejandro Perez, Andre Sukumtup, Benito Lopez, all these guys, you know... It's like, Albert, just put it together for once, man. I know I know you got what it takes to win this fight. Just don't get tapped out in the first round. If he gets tapped out in the first round, then, uh, you know, it's back to the regional scene for Albert. But I think he knows that, 
You know, I got to come out here. I got to make a statement. I'm not fighting Alejandro Perez on the border of Mexico. I'm not fighting Tominhas Almeida in Brazil. I'm not fighting Brett Johns, you know, in, in Scotland. You know what I'm saying, man? So I, I think now he's going to get the chance to really show off his skills, even though every single UFC fight he takes is on short notice. You know, Andre Sukumta was on short notice. You know, all, all these fights are on a week short notice. This one's no different. But I think experience will count for a lot here. I'm going to go with the underdog, Albert the Warrior Morales. Next up in the flyweight division, we have Alex Perez. He's minus 135, and the comeback on Eric Shelton is plus 115. Now, a lot of action has come in on Eric Shelton, and we've been saying it every single time that he fights, man. You know, a lot of people act like this guy is a future world champion and this and that, but uh, what I've noticed about Eric Shelton is that he almost wins a lot. Is he going to almost win this fight too? Um, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, a, a somewhat of a fair assessment. I mean, he did fight Jared Brooks, who's top 15, in my opinion. He did fight Pantoja, number one seed on tough, who's top 15. Um, so, I mean, granted, those losses are respectable. I mean, they both went to split decisions. So we know that skill-wise, he can hang. And I mean, experience-wise, this guy was fighting local scene and then Bam, they throw him in the fire with uh, Tim Elliott. You know, he loses him. He had two fucking tough fights to start off his UFC career. Now, when he got someone more on his experience level, like Lauza, you saw what happened. He 30-27. Um, as far as Shelton goes, you know, I feel like possibly. We've always said that, you know, he's got all the physical attributes to, you know, succeed at flyweight. But we always felt like, you know, maybe he doesn't have the execution. Um, I feel like, you know, possibly he might have gotten over a hump his last fight with Lauza, considering, you know, he lost two split decisions and, you know, maybe his confidence, uh, maybe his confidence is going through the roof. But as far as Alex Perez, you know, he's not one of these typical prospects. He's actually, he's got an extensive career before he even got into the UFC. You know what I'm saying? The guy had 20 plus fights on the local scene and we know he trains at Team Oyama. This guy is actually Carla Esparza's wrestling coach. And I mean, like I said, he's super experienced. We already know about that Darce. But, you know, the hole in his game I see, you know, possibly moving forward is that chin, you know. I feel like he might be prone to getting wobbled down the line. And Shelton might be able to expose that. You know, Shelton's problem is the intangibles, the execution, the, the small details, the the positioning, the getting out position. You know what I'm saying? That's why he lost to Pantoja. That's why he lost to Brooks. It was by getting out position, by by the by the other guys being able to execute slightly better. and. You know, if this fight goes through all three rounds, Shelton's gonna be sweating and losing a split. But I actually think he's gonna, I, th I think he's gonna um, move, move forward here, man. I think he's gonna get the upset. I think he's gonna hand Perez his first loss. I think he's gonna be able to capitalize on his power, man. I feel like you know the exchanges will be somewhat close, but I feel like Shelton will be able to slightly stay ahead, letting them more harder, effective shots. But you know, I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest if. Uh, you know, he lost another split decision because all his losses are by decision. And Alex Perez has won several decisions, so we know he knows how to win that way. But this is a crossroads fight for Shelton because, <clears throat> you know, you go 0-2, then you finally get your win. Everyone's, you know, hyping you up to be this prospect. So, I mean, this either solidifies that he's figuring it out, and if he loses, then, you know, he probably won't be around for too long, and he'll just be a low-level to mid-tier flyweight. So, uh, I think this is a, also another must-win situation for him, but I'm gonna go with Shelton by. Uh, I'm gonna go with Shelton by decision, actually. 
you know, it's funny because Shelton's got all the talent in the world. He's athletic. He's got the moves. He, he's got the look. He's got everything. It's just, like you said, man, it comes down to the execution. And interestingly enough, you know, Alex Perez, they call him a, a prospect, but the kid came into the UFC with like an 18-2, and two, something like that record, man. So the kid's definitely cut his teeth on the local scene. Nasty Darstroke, nasty Anaconda, putting in work with the right people. Listen, I think it's going to look like Eric Shelton won the fight. I think Eric Shelton's going to have a lot of success. I think after he loses this split decision, he's going to be like, are you fucking serious? I think, I think more than half of the media panel on MMA decisions is going to score this fight for Eric Shelton. But unfortunately, I, I think that uh, Alex Perez is going to get his arm raised with a very, very controversial split decision win because, as you know, Shaq, history repeats itself. I think it will repeat itself again. I got Alex Perez by super controversial split decision. Now, next up in the bantamweight division, we got Haniaya. He's minus 250, and the comeback on Russell Doan is plus 210. Now, Russell Doan, he recently moved to Team Oyama as well. Him and Louis Smolka, now they're doing their camps over there. And Russell Doan was as high as plus 310 just a couple days ago. Now he's plus 210. He finally got back on track with a win over Quan Ho Kwok. He finished him in the first round. But we know Haniaya, a perennial uh, a perennial tough out. Who you got in this one? Um, you know, I think it, you know, do I agree with the line reaching plus 310? No, but I uh, understand it 100% because Hani Yaya actually wins fights. You know, you can say whatever you want about Hani. You know, he, if you can, he's another guy, if you can, if you can survive the jujitsu onslaught, you know, he'll start flopping to his back too. But the thing with Hani is Hani's a weasel. And then you know how we describe our weasels on the show, time in and time out. Weasels know how to win. And guess what Hani's UFC record is? Eight, uh, nine, three, and one. The guy wins the majority of his fights by a long side. And Russell Doan, he doesn't win the majority of his fights. I mean, just look at his history when it comes to grappling or just grinding. Now, now you remember back in the day when he subbed Leandro Issa, but let's talk about the time when he fought one-dimensional worst fighter on the roster, Jared Sanders, and he got beaten on the feet and completely broken in the third round and got grinded on. And, you know, he's been tapped out in the first round more than once, so I completely understand why Hani you know, it was that high because Hani wins fights and Hani knows how to win fights. Even remember the Masanori Hanahara fight, a fight where he completely lost, but what did Hani do? He found a way to weasel it out. He found a way to flop to his back and, you know, make the grappling exchanges look close and trick the judges into thinking he's winning because he knows how to, even on his worst day, he knows how to still pull out a win. That's where Russell Doan, you know, if he, if he can't survive the jujitsu onslaught, if Hani wraps those arms around his neck, you know, yeah, he'll probably tap, but we know the thing with Hani, you know, you never know what you're going to get with him. You can't really trust either guy in this in this spot. It's a super sketchy fight because when Hani's flopping to his back and he's uh, starting to quit, he's, he quits about once every two years. Granted, he, uh, Joe Soto is just a better fighter, in my opinion, but um, it's a super fight. I don't trust either guy. I'm going to take Hani just because he's the more consistent guy. He's the guy that knows how to get his hands ra hand raised on a more consistent basis. And Russell Doan, I'm not saying he's a flake, but consistency, and he's not a winner. He's got a losing UFC record. Granted, it's against tough guys, but his history on the mat is just not good in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% correct. However, I do think that Russell Doan going to Team Oyama is going to make a difference because you see with a lot of these guys when they move to that camp, 
Uh, they get winning results, man. And I've always thought that Russell Doan had a lot of potential. It was just about putting it all together. I mean, you recall that fight against Pedro Munoz prior to him getting tapped out. He was lighting up Pedro Munoz. And I know that fight with Gerald Sanders, that was probably the worst Russell Doan we've ever seen in our lives. But I truly believe his last two fights, well, not his last two, because uh, let's not even talk about the Mirsad Bektik fight when he moved up to 145 pounds. But I truly believe the Pedro Munoz fight and Quan Ho Kwok fights even though one of them he lost in the first round, those were the best showings we've seen from Russell Doan in terms of his form. And I think if he can carry over that momentum here and avoid a first round submission loss, he can actually go out and win this fight in the second and third round. It's just that that first round with Haniyaya, man, you know, when he's uh, getting an unconventional single leg takedown on you, when he passes to side control, when he ties you up for that head and arm triangle and taps you out, you know, it, it might be a... Uh, it might be game, set, and match, but at the same time, man, how many times have we seen Hani Yaya flop to his back? And Russell Doan has to know that because his teammate already laid the, the blueprint on how to beat this guy. His teammate Joe Soto showed exactly how to beat him. His teammate Joe Soto beat him in Brazil. Now we're in the States, and uh, listen, I, I think this is... His teammate, his teammate Joe Soto is also a, a super uh, serious jiu-jitsu player as well. This is true. Listen, I think there's a similar situation to the first bout of the evening between Morales and Bermudez where, you know, maybe you take the shot on Doan, but you hedge it with the uh, Yaya by submission because if this goes all three, I, I see shit getting sketchy, but it could also be done in one because Yaya is just that good on the match. Uh, excuse me, on the mat. So. And another thing is, I mean, we've seen Yaya also pull off subs in the third, you know, like, You've seen him drown guys late, too, but it's just that you never know because, you know, when he fought Matthew Lopez, Lopez was supposed to beat his ass. Lopez was the hot prospect, and, I mean, Hani drowned him and subbed him in the third round. So we've seen him, you know, fly to his back in third, but then at other times we've seen him win decisions. So it's super hard to read this guy. You never know what you're going to get out of Hani. Yeah, look, I could be completely wrong, but I'm feeling the Hawaiian here, so I'm going to go with Russell Dunn for the upset. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got the newcomer, Marcin Prachnio. He's minus 250. The comeback on Smiling Sam Alvey is plus 210. Now, it's funny because whenever Alvey fights, we're always like, yeah, let's look into his opponent, this and that. We thought, you know, Prachnio might be a, a dog or something, but uh, they opened my, my boy Marcin Prachnio as a big favorite. He's currently minus 250, and, you know, let's just say uh, I'm not convinced he's going to be able to take the supplements he took on the Polish regional scene here in the USADA era in the UFC. Yeah, um, you know, like you said, anytime Alvi fights, like we've said before, the game plan to beat Alvi is simple. We already know Alvi concedes octagon control. Alvi's not going to be the aggressor. Alvi's going to sit back. And as long as you can stay conscious against Alvi, I mean, as long as you're not Nate Marquardt and Rashad Evans and, and you know, these guys that are over the hill, I mean, I, I think you should be able to win the decision. Like, we faded him against Ramazan Amiva's last fight. Granted, Ramazan Amiva was just a perfect style opponent for Alvi. I mean, the game plan, the blueprint is out there, man. All you have to do is just circle on the outside and throw a volume of kicks. But at the same time, Pratchnail's never been under the bright lights. And I feel like his style, you know, it, he, he actually tries to knock people out. I don't think Alvi's the guy you should try to knock out. You know, when you try to knock knock Alvi out, you get knocked out, you know what I'm saying? You have to you have to fight smart against Alvi because like I said, he gives up the octagon control. He's basically conceding that decision away. So, you know, Pacino's gotta stay on the outside and throw his kicks. I think he will, but I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. I think the line's completely off. I feel like Pacino should have been it should have been like close to a pick 'em because Alvi 
wins the most, the majority of his fights in the UFC, man. The guy's a winner, and he's moving up, and he's moving up the weight class. We already know the deal with these guys moving up weight classes. When they move up weight classes, they generally win their first couple fights. So it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, Alvy, with an extra 20 pounds of water in his head, you know, was able to uh, pull this off. But, you know, like I said, this fight, if the fight goes three rounds, I just don't see Alvy being able to win a decision. Um, unless, you know, the move up in weight really, you know, ups his activity rate. So it's a super unknown. I, I don't trust either guy. I'm going to take Pacino just because, you know, the blueprint to beat Alvy is pretty simple in my opinion. So I'm going to take Marcin, but um, I don't blame anyone for taking that shot on Alvy. Yeah, look, from a betting perspective, it's kind of tough to trust your money on Alvy. But from a picks perspective, man, I mean, look, Marcin Pacino is a knockout artist, and he's knocked out a bunch of these guys he's fought, you know, uh, over there where you're allowed to take all the all the supplements all the vitamins in the world but here in the UFC it's a different story and I'm not convinced he's got the cardio to go all three rounds and I know with Albi it looks ugly I know it, it might not be that fun to watch I know you know it's a you know a smoke break a piss break fight whenever Albi fights but that doesn't mean he's not going to win this fight and I think if it goes all three actually opposite of what you're saying I think he can win this decision because I'm under the impression that Marcin Prashnia, look, even though he's a knockout artist, I mean, the guy is a, a stiff juice head. You know what I'm saying? He seems like the kind of guy that you get past the first round, you push him in some clinch exchanges, and, and the guy is going to you know, have his hands at his waist because you need uh, oxygen for all those muscles, man. So I'm actually going to go with Sam Alvey here by decision, man. I think as long as he avoids getting knocked out in that first round, not that he can necessarily turn things around and take over in the second and third because that's not what he's about, but I do think that Prashino is going to slow down so much that it's going to be a lot of clinching. And in those breaks from the clinch, that's where I think Sam Alvey can land that straight left hand, maybe maybe uh, throw some big knees in the clinch and add the points up that way. So I'm going to go with uh, Sam Alvey via a very close decision. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Alan Juban. He's minus 270, and the comeback on Ben Saunders is plus 230. Now, you know, everyone's making a big deal about how these guys are friends and this and that, but uh, the last time we saw two friends fight, which was last week, Cowboy versus Medeiros, Cowboy won via first-round knockout, Shaq. Yeah, I don't buy in, uh, any of that shit, you know what I'm saying? Friends this, friend that, but at the end of the day, we're stepping in a cage for money, you know what I'm saying? People got to feed their families, and Alan Juban's coming off two losses in a row. And Ben Saunders is coming off a loss. So I think these guys are desperate for wins. And the way they match up, man, it's, uh, you know, Ben Saunders, he reminds me a lot of Josh Bergman, man. I feel I respect him a lot as a man, you know what I'm saying, especially as a fighter as well. But, you know, in his heart, I know he wants to be there. It's just simply, I don't think his chin can, you know, simply uh, take too much punishment these days. I mean, let's look at his history. When he come back in the UFC, you know, he had a nice two wins against Heather Lee and uh, Joe Riggs, and then he gets matched up with Kenny Robertson. You know, uh, you know, how, you know, Kenny Robertson. He's a he's a workman. He's a guy that doesn't have much power in his hands. Now I know he knocked out Sultan Aliyah, but let's be honest here, Dan. We know that was a fluke, and uh, flukes happen. And Kenny Robertson doesn't have much power in his hands, but he was able to drop Ben Saunders. He was able to stand in the pocket and hurt Ben Saunders several times. Now, granted, Ben Saunders won that fight. I don't know how, um, but he, you know, he showed his toughness. That's just the examples of the damage he's taken, and I'm not even mentioning. The, uh, two Douglas, the two Douglas Lima knockouts back in Bellator. So then, you know, he fights um, he fights Patrick Cote. And, you know, Patrick Cote, you know, hit him with some straight punches. He tries to grab that clinch. And, I mean, he wants to be there. It's just that his chin simply couldn't take the punches, and he went down. And, he, you know, he's so mad that he can't stay conscious. 
and then you know he fights Peter Sabata. You know how many you know how many KOs Peter Sabata had in the UFC? Zero. Exactly. Now when he fought Cormagee and he beat Cormagee in that third round when uh Cormagee had him wobbling all over the place. You know how many uh UFC knockouts Cormagee has? I would take a wild guess and say zero. Exactly. So, like I'm saying, these guys with no power, these guys with history of not being able to put guys down, are rocking this guy. Now, Alan Ben, what is Alan Ben? He's a serious striker. Alan Ben's from Lafayette, Louisiana. He's a kill-or-be-killed guy. He's not looking to grab legs. He's not, he's not looking to tie up. He's looking, as he said in his uh, interview this past weekend, <laughs> I don't grab, I hit. You know what I'm saying? So, I think this is a perfect fight for him to get back on track, man. I think Ben Ben Saunders is a super tough guy. Now the line is, you know, minus two fifty. So, you know, it is it is uh playable, but I do have, you know, concerns about Juban um moving forward, man. I do think his chin, you know, is a big liability. Um I don't know if it's gonna be in this fight, but definitely moving forward. I mean, just think about all the shots this guy's took and remember the Seth Brzezinski fight when he got wobbled. You remember the Worley Evans fight where he got wobbled. The Bilal, the third round of the Bilal fight, the Mike Perry fight, um Tumanov. The Tumanov, Tumanov fight, Gunny fight, Nico Price, I mean the guy has taken several hard shots and he's been wobbled several times. Shitty. So I feel exactly. So I feel like at any moment you know, he could possibly end up getting flash KO'd. I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, I do have those concerns about his health in the back of my mind, but I think he'll be enough. I think he's going to put it on Saunders. I think, you know, he's not going to fear Saunders. I think with the opponents he's been fighting, like Bilal, like Bilal Mike Perry, Gunnar Nelson, and Nico Price, you know, serious welterweights, guys that are top 20, top 25, um, I think, you know, those are those are the guys that moving forward are probably gonna, you know, keep handing them canvas snaps. But this fight I don't think so. I think he puts uh I think he puts Ben Saunders out within two rounds. Yeah, I don't think this fight's going the distance, man. I mean you look at his fights with uh Mike Perry and Bilal Muhammad and you know, the shots that he dropped Bilal Muhammad with, I guarantee you he he drops uh, Ben Saunders with any of those. He's getting him out of there right away. You know, Ben Saunders has been KO'd five times. Bilal Muhammad at the time had never been knocked out. And Bilal Muhammad has so much fighting spirit. He really wants to be there. And not, not that Ben Saunders doesn't, but when you're young and fresh and you're making that UFC debut, you haven't been KO'd five times like Ben Saunders does. I mean, you saw the will of a guy like Bilal Muhammad when he got dropped with that head kick and then the subsequent elbows by Alan Juban and somehow Bilal surviving. That's just, uh, I, I have no explanation for it other than... Bilal, Bilal had a fresh chin. Mike Perry had a fresh chin, young chins, chins that have never been damaged. You know what I'm saying? Ben Saunders' chin has been brutalized <laughs> And beaten and battered several times. It's been brutalized for years. I mean, you remember when Mike Quick Swick knocked him out. You remember when my boy Douglas Lima knocked him out twice. And nowadays, you know, guys with zero knockout power, guys like Kenny Robertson, guys like fucking Peter uh, Sabata. Peter Court Sabata. McGee, you know what I'm saying? Even Patrick Cote. I know everyone likes to act like Cote is some knockout artist, but between you and me, he ain't. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And, and it was just a. Uh, I think it's going to be a walk-off left hand here by Alan Juban. I think this is the kind of spot where Alan Juban, you know, he's filled with confidence. Like, you see his fight with Brendan O'Reilly, and he just goes out there and takes care of Biz real quick. And, you know, if somehow his chin gets clipped, which it has many times, he might go down. But my my real opinion here is that Juban's going to stop Ben Saunders, you know, by the second round. So I'm going with Alan Juban by knockout. 
Now, next up in the women's strawweight division, we got Angela Hill. She's minus 160, and the comeback on Marina Moroz is plus 140. Now, it's interesting, Shaq, because the odds makers actually opened Marina Moroz the favorite, and the public flipped the line. Now you got Angela Hill as the favorite, Marina Moroz is the dog. Which way are you going? Man, this fight, uh, this fight, you know, got a, is actually getting a lot of buzz online, man. It's actually, it actually surprised me because, you know, around the, uh, the, uh, MMA community, man, the thoughts on Marina Moroz are very low for some reason. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand why, you know, it's so funny because when she was supposed to fight Jamie Moyle a few weeks ago, she was the underdog to Jamie Moyle, <laughs> but then, but then she opens the favorite against Angela Hill. You know, it doesn't make sense for me. I, I feel like, you know, they just don't maybe have the respect for Moroz or don't have a good read on her. It, that Jamie Moyle, you know what I'm saying, who's like four and two, and Marie, Marina Moroz is the underdog. I, I don't fucking get it. But you know, Angela Hill. I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of confidence in Angela Hill, man. I'm, <laughs> you know, look, I was an Angela Hill supporter. Now, look, her first UFC stint, I will excuse her for that because I mean, she legitimately had one pro fight, and the next following weekend, she tried out for the Ultimate Fighter and got on the show. And then her next fight was against Carla Esparza, Tisha Torres, and Rose Namajunas, all top five chicks. So I will excuse the first UFC stint. She had no business being in those fights, so we'll give her a pass for that. So then after that, you know, she goes to Invicta. She fights a couple soccer moms, uh, Alita Gray, some other chicks that, you know, nobody knows. But you know what? Her uh, big win in her career is by beating Livia Souza, you know, who was the champ at that time. Personally, I felt like that fight could have went either way. I felt like Livia was taking her down at will at times. But, you know, Livia's a jiu-jitsu, a jiu-jitsu fighter, and he was able to just slightly land at more strikes and win a split decision. Um, then, you know, she comes in. And so she wins the belt. She has another fight, defends the belt, and then um, she's in the UFC again. So now, you know, at the time, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Hill's, you know, figuring out things. You know, she was just too young. She wasn't ready for that. And, you know, now she's going to start fighting chicks on her level. And I felt like, you know, her past experiences were going to be able to just have her wipe out the floor with the lower level competition like the Ashley Yoders that she was fighting. You know what I'm saying? So the Jessica Andrade fight, that was expected. You know, I don't know. Jessica Andrade would do that to pretty much everyone in the division. So, you know, she she got her ass beat, but it was a, it was an admirable performance. But make no mistake about it, she got her ass beat. She dropped Jessica Andrade, but that's what happens when you when all Andrade does is left hooks and right hooks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of course, someone's gonna time it time her with a straight punch once in a while. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, and then you know she fights uh, Ashley Yoder, and Ashley Yoder has like the worst fight IQ in the world. I mean, Ashley Yoder would blast double her and be on top for a couple minutes, and then, you know, Hill would work her way back up to her feet, and instead of, you know, being a smart fighter and a logical fighter and tie her up and keep her on the fence and keep working for the takedown and being ugly with it, Ashley Yoder decides to, you know, be a spider monkey and try to uh, hop hop on her back from from uh, standing up from guard, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like Ashley Yoder's not a UFC-caliber fighter, a terrible fight IQ and you know, that's why Ashley Yoder's getting fed to Mackenzie Dern in a few, uh, next week. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't think she's a UFC caliber fighter. I feel like that's an Invicta-level opponent. So then she fights uh, she fought uh, Nina Aronsoff her last fight. This was supposed to be her coming out party, Dan. Was it not supposed to be her coming out party? Yeah, you know, she got the one and two opponent. She's supposed to show off, and uh, she yeah. got her ass beat. I mean, 
and you know, I'm hearing things where Nina and I mean, look, Nina Andrews is a good fighter. I, I'll admit that that was definitely Nina Andrews' best performance of her career. But I remember Juliana Lima handling Nina Andrews. I remember Justine Keys beating Nina Andrews. You know what I'm saying? Nina Andrews was one and two in the UFC with a win over Jocelyn Jocelyn Leibar, You know what I'm saying? She was like one win over 500. That was supposed to. That was an opponent on your level with the same you know, caliber of wins as you. And I mean, what happened? Are we just, we're going to make an excuse for that too. I feel like people are making too much, too much excuses for Angela Hill, bro. Why are we making an excuse for her losing to Andra? Because Andra's underrated. That was supposed (laughs) to be her coming out party. She was supposed to stay on the outside and light her up from the outside with her speed and movement. And it turns out Nina Androv was the faster fighter in there. You know what I'm saying? It turns out Nina Androv was the, was the better striker. You know, going into that fight, everyone's always worried about Hill's takedown defense. And, you know, I wasn't worried about Hill's takedown defense because Nina Androv is a striker. So I'm thinking, oh, this is an easy fight in the back for Hill that she's fighting a striker, and she got outstruck. So then, uh, you know, I guess people are still making that excuse for her. I felt like she was super labored in those second and third rounds. I felt like she was huffing and puffing. I felt like, you know, that possibly that she might be losing a little bit of that speed and movement ability and the ability to keep it up for three rounds. I mean, when you move that much, and, you know, she is 31, 32, and she's got an extensive uh, Muay Thai career, I mean, maybe she's losing a little bit of speed, man. And uh, Marina Moroz is 26 years old, moving to the United States, been living in the United States for a year, and I feel like she's making improvements in her game. You know, in the Carla Esparza fight, you know, people can talk shit about Moroz, you know, not landing punches, but who gives a fuck? I've seen plenty of people make careers off not landing punches. Look at Caitlin Chukagian. Does Caitlin Chukagian land punches, Dan? Nope. Oh, what is Caitlin Chukagian's UFC record? You know what I'm saying? She she wins fights. Chukagian makes sounds like you can you cannot land punches and still you know know how to maneuver judges and win a decision. A lot of people fail to realize that they get emotional and they just say, "Oh, she just she's not really landing, so she's you know losing." But in my opinion. Marina Moroz has way better wins than Angela Hill, and I feel like she's a better over, overall fighter than Hill. I feel like she's got the advantage on the mat. And not to mention, Angela Hill took this fight off the couch four weeks' notice, weighing 138 pounds. And, you know, she generally has only five pounds to cut, but, you know, she said that she wanted to put on size, and now she's rushing to camp. You know, I already feel like she's getting older and labored and not as fast as she used to be. And I feel like Marina possibly might be having her best performance. I think I think uh, if Carla Esparza would have fought Angela Hill or half the other division, I feel like those takedowns, she would have fucking ran through pretty much everyone. As for Moreau's, she had to work for those takedowns. Moreau's stuck like four or five good takedowns and sprawled hard, man. So I think she's making the improvements down there in Chicago with the Irish people. So I'm going to take Moreau's, man. I'm going to take Moreau's by decision. I think she pulls off a close decision. You know, I feel like Hill might be slightly faster early, but I feel like the cardio is going to come out to play in this fight. I think, uh, I think Moroz is going to come out with a, you know, a tactical plan like she always does and just slightly steal the rounds at the end with takedowns because I don't think Hill's takedown defense is improving at all. I feel like, you know, she has a get up game now, but I feel like she's still liable to get taken down and outstruck from the outside. 
Yeah, Angela Hill is the most overrated fighter in that division, man. You know, okay, let's excuse her first UFC run where she went one and three. Well, guess what? She's one and two in her current UFC run. So, I mean, it's not like it's made much of a difference. I mean, it's still, you know, just a not good fighter. I mean, she doesn't win fights in the UFC. That's all there is to it. Her two UFC wins are over Emily Kagan, who, you know, she recently uh, picked up my kids this morning and took them to school in a in a fucking minivan you know what i'm saying she took him him to soccer practice this morning you know what i'm saying and then the other chick she beat is ashley yoder who they bring in to lose to everyone and like ashley yoder's the kind of chick that she lost to justine quiche and you know speaking of losing to justine quiche the girl that just beat angela hill lost to fucking Justin Keish. Now now after the fact everyone's saying, "Oh, Nina Androff's this oh, this underrated fighter, this and that." Look, when we talk about underrated fighters in that division, for me at least, we talk about Carla Esparza. We talk about Felice Harry. Those are underrated fighters in that division. Not fucking Nina Androff. Come on, give me a break. She's a 500 fighter. You know what I'm saying? And in that fight, man, look, Angela Hill started off fast, okay, for the first 3 minutes, but she can't keep up all that movement that she does, and it ends up gassing her out, and this is going to be a stand-up fight, as you know, because Marina, you know, Ukrainian boxer, and now that she moved over to the States, I'm expecting her to have the best performance of her career, man, because, you know, people forget that when we first saw her in that debut against Joanne Calderwood and the subsequent fight against Valerie Letourneau, she was just a kid, Shaq. She was under 25 years old, you know what I'm saying? That was where the was developing like, stages. Like 20, yeah, she was like 21, 22, and Let's talk about those losses. You know what Laterno was doing? Laterno was on her path to a title shot. You know, Laterno beat Joanna in that first round of the fight after. So Laterno was at the height of a career. And Carla Esparza, there ain't no fucking shame in that because we already know what Carla would do to half the division. Well, Carla finished uh, Angela Hill in like the first minute, just so you know. But, you know, let, 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 I'm not going to. I'm not going to reference that because, like I said, I will excuse her for that. But, you know, the Valerie Laterno fight, everyone. Uh, uses it against her but Valerie like you said she won the first round against Joanna when she fought that that was back when fucking Ronda Rousey fought Holly Holm that's how long ago that's when Robert Whitaker fought Uriah Hall that's how long ago that shit was man Mark Hunt fought Bigfoot Silva fucking Kyle Noak front kicked Peter Sabata in the gut that's how long ago it was that you know what I'm saying that Letourneau was fighting for the for the title Anton Zafir was in the UFC at that time. <laughs> so, look, in this spot, I'm expecting the best Marina Moroz we've ever seen, man. I'm expecting her to put on the performance of her career, make Angela Hill swing at air. And it's funny I say swing at air from Angela Hill's side because Marina's the one known for swinging at air. But when you're fighting someone like Daniel Taylor, who's four foot eleven, and you know, you're waiting on that initial blitz, I can understand why the fight went the way it did, but I also still scored a 30-27 Moroz. But in this spot specifically, Angela Hill is gonna come forward, Angela Hill is gonna try to strike and we know marina's a counter striker so marina is not gonna punch unless she needs to and she's gonna need to punch here all the time because angela's gonna leave those openings and uh, i i feel as if by that second and third round angela's gonna start getting that head pop back and then also we know marina moroz has a big advantage on the mat uh angela hill's like a fish out of water on that mat man so uh, you know i expect some takedowns to get mixed in there too i think uh you know yeah years people got it right in that respect and Look, I'm, I'm expecting a Marina Moroz, you know, 30-27 on one card, 29-28 on the other two. I think this is a, a potential uh, good underdog here because from minus 140 to plus 140, you know what I'm saying, Shaq? So my pick is Marina Moroz. 
Now, next up in the women's bantamweight division, we got Sarah the Quitter McMahon. She's minus 240. The comeback on Marion Renault is plus 200. Now, we shot all over Sarah McMahon her last fight against Caitlin Vieira. And, you know, people were saying we didn't know what we were talking about. People said we were disrespecting an Olympian. And uh, guess what Sarah McMahon did in that fight? She quit. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, is she about I mean, to quit again? No, Dan, I almost want you to, you know pull up uh, the exact recording because, I mean, we called that fight to an exact tee, called the round, the finish, submission round two, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and Sherry McMahon is a, is a front runner, plain and simple. How many times have we told you? Be very fucking careful with Sarah McMahon because all it takes is one bad spot and, you know, she's going to she's gonna go home. You know what I'm saying? She wants to, you know, get out of that cage. Let's talk about the Kevin Vieira fight. We already know McMahon, you know, physically probably overpowers every chick in that division just in terms of strength and muscles and you know what i'm saying i've seen the chicken person i mean her shoulders are her shoulders are pretty broad you know what i'm saying she's a she's a big chick you know what i'm saying and that's what she likes to do she likes to punk chicks out in front run she likes to muscle chicks down and just overpower them now when she was able to do that with kellen in the first round let's talk about that ground and pound from mountain dan i mean oh. that was some of the most laughable shit i've ever seen in my entire life you know what that is then that's what we call desperation that's what we call i want to go home i want to get out of here i'm not going to be patient and actually land ground and pound shots i'm just going to spam a whole bunch and just hope to god that kevin Vieira, you know gets knocked out and none of those landed kevin Vieira was probably on bottom like <laughs> what the fuck this is the you olympian this is the olympic wrestler you know what i'm saying and what happened in that second round we knew that Kevin had the skills to put her in that one bad spot, and when that one bad spot happened, uh, McMahon tap-tap to a submission that really wasn't even locked in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, Sarah McMahon, she definitely has the better physical attributes than Renault. Renault's 40 years old, slower, on the tail end, and McMahon should be able to come in here and overpower her. But like I said, her track history is too flaky, man. All it takes is one arm bar. All it takes is for Renault to look at her in those eyes and, you know, let McMahon know that, hey, I'm going to be here for the three rounds, especially after the first round, especially if McMahon dumps everything and trying to finish her and she can't, you know what I'm saying? Don't, don't, don't be shocked when uh, McMahon quits again. And we told you again on half the battle, but... You know, Renault Renault her takedown defense is super suspect. It's super shaky. Like I said, she is forty years old. You know, once you're at that age, you never know what you're gonna get. One time, you know, most likely she's gonna lay have a lay an egg performance one of these days. So, you know, at the same time I'm not saying I'm betting Mary and Renault with uh confidence, you know what I'm saying? So it's a it's a definitely a fight. I'm just gonna sit back and watch and you know, when Sarah McMahon quits again, then I'll kick myself in the nuts. But um I'm gonna take uh I'm gonna take Renault by uh arm bar triangle just because generally damn bad bad situations happen in fights, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? At some point in a fight there's gonna be a situation where you're gonna have to man up and get through it. And history shows Sarah McMahon can't do that. Yeah, everything has to be completely perfect for you know, Sarah McMahon to win a fight, and Marion Renault isn't someone you just come in there and walk through. You know, all of her fights have been tough, and you know, Sarah McMahon's going to do a little front running. You know, she's going to win that first round, but then after that, she's going to realize that she's in there with a much tougher woman. She's going to be in there with someone that has serious resolve, someone that wants to be there, someone that's a true fighter. 
And she's going to realize, you know, I'm not in there with Jessica anymore. I'm not in there with Gina Manzini anymore. I'm not in there with fucking Alexis Davis coming off a two-year maternity leave. You know, she's going to realize she's in there with a real fighter. And albeit that real fighter's 40 years old, but so what, man? You know, it's not like she's taking so much damage to where she slowed down to a serious point. Now, I understand Marion Renault, you know, gets taken down in a lot of her fights. And she'll get taken down here, too. However, she attacks off her back, and we know... Just put Sarah McMahon in that one uncomfortable <laughs> position. You know what I'm saying? Just attack the arm. Don't even lock it in all the way. Just just attack the yeah, neck. Just, Don't even lock it in all the way. And she will be just, tapping just that throw, mat before you know it. Just throw up an armbar in that second round. So I'm expecting a second or third round finish for Marion Renault here. I, I, you know, and let's say Sarah McMahon wins this fight, we'll fade her in the next fight. You know, if you if you oh, start no. fading Sarah McMahon every fight, you're gonna win long term. The reason that I'm not running, you know, first uh, first in line at the window, like you know, m like maybe in the Ketlin fight, was because I knew Ketlin had the size to take care of this, and I know Marion's a little small for the weight class. Look, physically speaking, Sarah McMahon has all the advantages, but mentally speaking. Marion Renault trumps her in every aspect mentally, and you know the mental is a huge part of this game. So it's all about you know don't get ten aided that first round. You know don't you know give up a fucking arm triangle to the Olympic wrestler and this and that. Just survive that first round, and you'll break her in the second and third. So I'm gonna go with Marion Renault for the upset. She's currently plus two hundred. I think the number is gonna get even better. Uh, you know come fight time because they're gonna see the face off. Oh McMahon's back. Oh McMahon's built. Oh this uh, McMahon ain't shit. So you know I, I got. Marion Renault here for the victory. Another thing is, man, you know, she's been, you know, training at Team Alpha Male, and, you know, she's been, uh, she's been, she's been saying, you know, Faber's been pushing her in the gym, you know, to her limits. And, you know, you know what that, uh, you know, what possibly what that means is she's been quitting in the gym every day. So <laughs> don't be, uh, don't be shocked when she does it in the cage. So you're saying she's been making big improvements like Sage Northcutt? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, we, so we can, so we can go ahead and, cancel out that team alpha male myth you know with certain people it don't matter where they fucking train at you know, it's so funny because, uh, you know, remember when we shot on Sage Northcutt before that Canones fight and then... Uh, so, so, I, so look, pretty much I, I give Sage his props after the Canones fight. I respect him. I, I say he's tough. I say, I say, you know, he's making the improvements. And then what the fuck was that that happened last Saturday? You know what I'm saying? Granted, he got the win. But let's be honest here. The Frenchie beat his ass. And whoever came up with his 129 to fucking 11 strike count or whatever the hell it was... Uh, I don't know what the fuck you were watching because I saw Sage get dropped like two, three times and taken down a bunch of times also. Like, I think that strike count is is total bullshit, by the way. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely has to be at work, you know what I'm saying? Um, that fight was probably, you know, fixed from the jump on the scorecard. You know, let's give Sage the decision. And, um, you know, hopefully Sage starts getting real opponents, man. Like, he just lost to a Frenchie, if we're being honest. No, T-Bot's actually pretty good, man, so I'm not going to, you know, disrespect his country like that. But, I mean, Sage is back on the FA list, but let's move on. What about Sage versus DeCasey? Um, I think DeCasey would rock him with the first punch if Gowdy's rocking him with the first punch. I mean, you know, the kid, I thought the kid developed a chin in the Canonas fight, but I guess Canonas just blows. He didn't develop shit, and yeah, uh, I think we learned a lesson <laughs> about Canonas, but... On to this next fight, man. Bantamweight division. Henan the Baron Burrell, the former number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter on planet Earth. He's minus 145. The comeback on Brian Kelleher is plus 125. Now, it's interesting, man, for a couple reasons. Firstly, a couple of years ago, Henan Burrell would have been fucking minus 750 in the spot. And also, let me also add this, Shaq. Henan Burrell has not made 
135 pounds since 2015. Yeah, man, this is, uh, this, uh, let's put it this way. You know, when Kelleher used to be a jobber on the local scene, you know, losing the guys back when he lost to Andy Main, you know, back when his record was probably barely over 500. You mean back you know in 2014? Was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what Hedenborough was doing at that time? He was a world champion defending his belt. <laughs> he was the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. You know what I'm saying? And just the fact that in a few years, things can completely drastically change. It shows you how crazy the fight game is, bro. So, look, um, I see a lot of people thinking that there's no possible way Hennon loses this fight because they think, you know, Kelleher is just flat out not good enough. But I disagree. I think Kelleher is good enough because, look, you can keep, making excuses for Burrell, you know, all this and that. Before the Aljo fight, oh, well, you know, what they're saying before this fight is, well, he's training at ATT now. Oh, he's training in America. You know where he was training at uh, before his last fight? In America, Dan. And, you know, in a, in a, especially in a better state for, you know, cardio training. And, and wrestling training. They can make, exactly. They can, make all, they can make all the excuses they want because he's still got the same – uh, you know, his coach from Nova or from the Kamora gym, you know, that's affiliated with uh, Nova and Yao, his coach moved to Arizona to train uh, at Power MMA, to be the coach at Power MMA. And so, like, I'm, I'm, t- I'm not buying into this, oh, he's switching, he's switching camps. It's going to change everything. That's, that's what journeymen say. That's what jobbers say. You know what I'm saying? When they face defeat, they think, oh, I'm going to go to this state and this state for this training and this coach and all this bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not buying into this at all. Before the Aljo fight, if you would have told me Aljo, Aljamain Sterling, the guy that couldn't even outbox Caraway or the, you know what I'm saying, outbox Kenan Burrell and took him down, like, it's just a gradual decline, you know what I'm saying? In Hennon's prime, he would have never gotten taken down. You know what, what happened if you would have tried to touch Hennon's hips in his prime, Dan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He would have fucking, he would have fucking shrugged that shit off. <laughs> he was fucking made you look stupid, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it's a gradual decline, and people are just under the assumption that there's no, like, they're, they're saying there's no way Kelleher wins this fight, right? He lost to Marlon Vera, right? There's no way. But I think Kelleher's a junkyard dog. I think Kelleher's had, you know, fights similar to this on the local scene. He's beaten Julio Arce twice. We just saw what Julio Arce did in his UFC debut. You know what I'm saying? And on the Julio contender Arce show. Just, exactly. Julio Arce just fucked him. He gave and Peter Petty's up badly. You know what I'm saying? So, like, Kelleher beat him by decision three rounds and and finished him you know what i'm saying and broke him both times in my opinion so keller is what we like to call those workmen junkyard dogs with an endless endless gas tank and he isn't gonna quit now his weakness you know in my opinion is clearly you know the straight punches in terms of boxing because his wrestling and jujitsu is on point man because i feel like anytime people shoot in on him they respect that his gear i guess his gear team really is that good because they respect the fuck out of that guillotine because, I mean, he already tapped Yuri with it. And, I mean, anytime Stasiak shot in on him, I mean, Stasiak would bail out the second uh, Kelleher touched that neck. So, I mean, I think uh, we already know Kenan still. I think he is going to win the first round. But like he, how he did against Jeremy, just like how he did against Aljamain, just like how he did in all of his fights. But what happened in rounds two and three? He started getting tired. Then Aljamain's outboxing him. Aljamain Sterling, Dan, is outboxing him. You know what I'm saying? That would have never been imaginable a couple years ago. He's he's losing. He's fighting Felipe Nover. You know what Felipe Nover's UFC record is, Dan? 
Like one in ten. Exactly, and he's really he's really zero and five because he lost to Troy Nam. If we're being honest, and you know you know Hennon couldn't even get a thirty twenty seven across the board. You know what I'm saying? In Brazil. In Brazil, like in his prime, he would have fucking floored Felipe Nor in the first round. So I mean. I think it's just gradual decline after gradual decline. And I think Kelleher strikes me as a big game hunter, man. Kelleher wants to be in this UFC business for a long time. I know that for a fact Kelleher will not get tired. I know for a fact Kelleher will keep moving forward, whether he gets knocked out or not. He's going to keep moving forward because he knows, he already knows that Hennon has a serious cardio issue and he's looking to get that TKO late finish, and I think he will. I'm not going to keep making excuses for Hennon. I think he had a great career, but I think he's a victim of USADA. I think, you know, that his best days are behind him, and it's clearly evident in my opinion. I think people should look into Kelleher because uh, I think he is good enough to win. I think he does have the grappling to hold his own with Hennon on the mat. You know what I'm saying? Especially in rounds two and three. Yeah, look, I mean, skill-wise, Hennon's the better fighter here, but Hennon ain't Hennon no more. You know what I'm saying, man? Like, Hennon was 32-1 and one at one point. That was one of the best records in the history of the sport back in the day, man. I mean, he was considered the top pound-for-pound pound fighter. I mean, I remember when he defended that belt against Faber. I even remember back when he fought Pickett, and I was like, oh, shit, this guy's going to be a future UFC world champion. And that guy that fought Pickett, you put him in there with Felipe Nova, you put him in there with Aljamain Sterling, and he finishes those guys in the first round. And, you know, to get outboxed by a guy like Aljamain Sterling who has no hands whatsoever – is just absolutely embarrassing. It's inexcusable. And it just shows that my boy Henry the Barons had enough. And, and that's the bottom line. And I know he had a spirited battle with Jeremy Stevens at 145 pounds. And, you know, we, we can show him respect for that one. But at the same time, man, he took a lot of damage in that fight. And since then, he just hasn't been the same. The Felipe Nover fight, the Aljamain Sterling fight, I mean, that's not the same guy at all. And now he's dropping back to 135 pounds where, you remember, uh, he uh, he got knocked out by the bathtub once, Shaq. You know what I'm saying, man? So don't be surprised when it happens again, man. And uh, look, I just think that TJ Dillashaw, Jeremy Stevens, Aljamain Sterling, they, they fucked this guy up, all the wars in the gym at Novo Nyao, and I mean, people don't understand how serious, uh, you know, the damage they take at Novo Nyao is. Look at look at Marlon Sandra these days, man, you know what I'm saying, man? Uh, that CTE over there is, no, the dude's fucking getting arrested for attempted murder. If you think that's just a coincidence, I mean, if you think I mean, that... just look at every, just look at everyone that's left Novo Nyao, you know what I'm saying? Now it's more of a, you know, now their star is Ketlin Vieira, you know what I'm saying? They're looking at the female aspect of things. I mean, everyone, Jose Aldo declined, Johnny Eduardo declined, Hakan Diaz declined, Hennon declined. I mean, just that, that training method, especially in that small space of a gym. I mean, like, I mean, they got a new gym now, but that old gym where they were training on that one little mat, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just look at the top guys. They all Bro, declined. Except, Jose, you know, Aldo, Jose Aldo's lost three of his last four by strikes. That would have been unimaginable just a couple of years ago. Uh, fucking Marlon Sanders getting arrested for attempted murder. That would have been unimaginable a couple years ago because his CTE hadn't developed to the point it is now at that point. Hendon Burrell is losing striking matches to Aljamain Sterling. Do you understand where I'm going with this? And a guy like Brian <laughs> Kelleher, I, I know people think he's this jobber and this and that, and he might have used to have been back in uh, 2014, 
But let's talk about his resume real quick because it's not like this is his first big fight. This is a guy that 30-27 Andre Sukumta. This is a guy that finished Julio Arce. This is a guy that finished Yuri Alcantara in the first round in Brazil. This is a guy that finished Damian Stasiak in Poland. So if you think that you know him fighting a big opponent in their hometown is an issue for him, you might have another thing coming because it isn't. And not to mention, this is not Hendon Burrell's hometown. So you know, I, I think he's going to have no problems coming out here. And, uh, you know, losing the first round, then coming back in the second and third when Hennon Burrell's gassed out. Look, Hennon's got the better technique, no doubt about it. And if Hennon uh, can keep his shit up for three straight rounds, much respect, Hennon the Baron. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you get a big fight next. But I think the UFC know that, like, look, we gave Brian Kelleher two performance bonuses in two of his last three fights. This is an exciting guy. He'll fight anyone. He'll fight dudes in their home countries. Like, why don't we give... Why don't we give him the Hennon lottery ticket? Why don't we give him that big win on his resume? So I'm going with the underdog here, man. I agree with you. I got Brian Keller here. Brian Keller here for the win. It could be a guillotine. It could be a third-round finish. Or it could be a unanimous decision. But bottom line, I think the junkyard dog, I, I think he's going to bite down the second and third round when Hennon starts to gas. And, you know, that's going to be the difference here. So my pick is Brian Kelleher. And it's uh, that's the fight game for you. It's uh, It's crazy how quickly things change, my man. Yes, sir. Now, opening up the main card. Now, this is gonna be this, this is gonna be fireworks, man. Someone might take a canvas nap here. We got Platinum Mike Perry is minus three sixty five, and the comeback on Max Payne Griffin is plus three hundred five. Now, uh, who's gonna shoot for a takedown first? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't see anyone shooting any takedowns. These guys, these guys don't like to grab. You know what I'm saying? Um, I earned a lot. I mean, I already had a lot of respect for Max Payne. You know, I faded him his last fight when he fought my boy Zaleski. And, you know, it was more of a case where I just trust Zaleski, you know, at that stage against those level of opponents. But, I mean, Max Payne gave me a heart attack and a half, bro. I mean, you saw me, man. I mean, Zaleski, I felt like, was under the assumption that Max Payne was a joke. <laughs> you know, he tried to just charge at him and face first and thinking he was going to get him out in the first round. And, I mean, Zaleski got dropped twice in that fight. I mean, granted, at the end of that first round, Max Griffin legitimately almost died. I mean, that was one of the a vicious fury at the end of that first round where he – I don't know how he stayed up. I mean, obviously, you know, um, Mike Perry, you know, definitely has more one-punch power than Zaleski, but I feel like Zaleski is definitely the more technical striker. I mean, the fact that uh, – Max Payne hung in there, and I mean, Max Payne has had no easy fights, man. I mean, his UFC debut, let's not forget that ass whooping he took in that fight, Dan. I mean, he got fucked up bad in that fight against Colby, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, I mean, <laughs> his face was covered in blood at the end of that fight. And, um, you know, the guys, they're not giving him any easy fights. You know, he's had to fight Colby, so that's when you know he's fighting Mike Perry coming off a loss. You know, plain and simple, I think it's a super sketchy fight, you know, to take because... A lot of people are unaware that the power Max uh, Max Griffin has. You know, I've seen him on the local scene, and he's got some crippling power, bro. I mean, I've seen him clip some dudes behind the ear, and, you know, they do some serious chicken dance. I know? saw my boy Zaleski get knocked down. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? The guy's got fucking power. So if you're underestimating his power, I think you're making a big mistake. And if Perry makes the mistake of underestimating him and thinking the kid's a pussy and that he's going get to him, get him out of here quick, then, you know, he might pay the price. But granted, I think, honestly, you know, Closer to the fight, the more, you know, Perry senses that fear in the boy. I think uh, I think most likely what happens is, you know, I'm not saying that it's going to be a first-round knockout. I actually think there's a good chance this might actually go over, over one and a half. 
just like, you know, Perry's last fight um, with Pons where everyone was convinced that there's no possible way it goes the distance. And, I mean, I think Perry learned a solid lesson from that fight. I mean, he said exactly what you want to hear, you know. He said, you know, you can't always get the knockout. I got to go back to the drawing board, get my cardio better, and learn how to score points. And then we preach that on the show every week. You can't always knock someone out. You can't always wait on a punch. You got to learn how to score points in the meantime and set the shots up and, you know, the knockout will come. And I think Perry will, but, you know, it is a super sketchy fight. But Max Payne is a guy you definitely don't want to underestimate. But I think Perry gets the job done. But I'm going to say second or third round. I think Max Payne gives him a fight. Yeah, look, here's my opinion on the fight. Firstly, I respect both competitors a hell of a lot. They're both, you know, serious knockout artists. But one thing that you and I said when we watched Zaleski versus Griffin was that Max Griffin better take a year off after a war like that. And not only did he not take a year off, Shaq, he's making his return against arguably the number one knockout artist in that division because Mike Perry, 100% of his wins are by knockout. I mean, you don't hear about too many guys that have an 100% KO rate with their wins. I mean, even Paul Daly, it's like 90%, 95%. You know what I'm saying? But Mike Perry, it's 100%. Now, granted, it's only 11 wins. So, you know, the sample size isn't as big as a Paul Daly. But let's just put it this way. When you've beat 11 men and all 11 of those men went unconscious, that has to count for something. And you could say it's, oh, Jake Ellenberger and, you know, all the guys he fought are chinny. This is true, but it's the way he sets shit up. You and I both know he throws with a lot of heat. And that fight with Santiago, I think, was a very good learning experience for him. Now, here with Griffin, it's interesting because... Griffin can also crack. Make no mistake about it. You know, if you're betting Perry in the spot, you know, I think you're going to win, but there's going to be moments where, you know, Griffin's biting down, throwing hard, and you're like, oh shit, I might have underestimated this guy. And, you know, when two guys are standing toe to toe like this, it could be 50 50. One guy could get knocked the fuck out, and I think someone will get knocked out. So don't be surprised if it goes either way. That being said, I truly believe that Perry is. You know, it's funny to, to use the word smart next to Perry's name because people like to act like he's this dumbass because, you know, he's got a funny persona and shit. But I actually do think that he is a little bit intelligent about the fight game. I do think that he's someone that thinks about all aspects of the game. I don't think he's just this meathead like people try to portray him, you know, closes his eyes and swings big let's bombs. Not, I, let's, I, not, let's, not fail, let's not fail to mention, he showed some wrestling that last fight against Pond. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think this guy's actually a well-rounded fighter. You know what I'm saying, man? And, uh, you know, he showed a, he had a very... Very good showing against Ponzinibbio. He just kind of gassed uh, after that second round, but he realized, look, I need to be able to go the full three hard. But he showed the heart of a champion, man. He wasn't going down. I mean, he had to take a serious spinning back fist to put the dude down, and even then he didn't quit. So Perry's got, you know, the thing I always said about him was that he, I, I called him the white Tyron Woodley, you know what I'm saying? Because you hit the guy with your hardest shot, you'll break your hand. He hits you with his hardest shot, and uh, you get launched across into the 10th row, you know what I'm saying? So... Mike Perry. Yeah, but, but but don't make that comparison because Tyron doesn't fight. <laughs> yeah, you know, this was Tyron pre his uh, last two title defenses. You know what I'm saying, man? Like back when Tyron actually used to fight dudes. What, what happened to my boy Tyron? You know, now he's calling out Nate Diaz. What the fuck's up with that? I mean, all I got to say is Nerd Bash 2018. <laughs> my boy Nerd Bash ain't getting no title shot, though. <laughs> But uh, RDA champ 2018, you know what I'm saying? Ponza Nebio champ 2018. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, I, I got Perry in this fight 
most likely a knockout, but I'm not going to be surprised if it goes all three because Max Griffin is a tough guy, but he's coming back too soon from that Zaleski war. I, I think it's going to be an overhand right. I think it's going to be a left hook. I think it's going to be an elbow in the clinch, possibly a knee that puts down uh, Griffin, but and, you just be and careful. And not to mention, Max, Max Payne has KO'd guys in 20 seconds or less in that octagon. Oh, yeah. Ma Max Griffin, look, even if he goes and out on the shield, he's going to fight while it lasts. A lot of people don't know is when he actually fought Kobe, if you actually watch closely, he clipped Kobe with the right hand behind the ear. And Kobe saw Kobe saw Jesus, just put it that way, and instantly, you know, you know what Kobe did after that. You know? Kobe uh, made uh, Matt Griffin take some plan B, you know what I'm saying, bro? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> he busted out the Durex for that one. But look, I I, I got to go with Mike Plat with, with Platinum Mike Perry on this one. Um, yeah, but it I has just, uh, He's just too he's too mean, you know what I'm saying? He's just a little bit meaner. It has the potential to get sketchy though. Make no mistake about it, oh, but sure. Platinum's the pick. Light heavyweight division. We got Ovince St. Peru, OSP is minus 125. The comeback on Elir Latifi is plus 105. Now uh kind of interesting that it's a pick em, in my opinion, Shaq, because I did think that my boy Vince should be favored a little higher, but, you know, I understand, you know, he's facing a wrestler, people think wrestling is his weakness, even though I gotta say, Vince has a serious get-up game, and a very underrated get-up game at that, my man. Yeah, man, Vince is, uh, he's been doing his thing, you know, um, granted, his last three opponents, you know what I'm saying, quitter, welterweight, and no chin, but, I mean, uh, Vince said that he's just been flat-out training harder, you know, after he lost those three in a row, a lot of men would have packed it in and just called it quits and, you know, took in another L and probably got cut or retired. But Ovin said he flat out wasn't training hard enough. I mean, he said he had to be honest with himself and he wasn't training hard enough. And that's what he's been doing now. And that's why he's on a three-fight winning streak now. People would say what I just said earlier. Well, look at who who is it against. Corey Anderson can't take a punch. But, I mean, let's look at how OSP's been looking. I mean, OSP's been... I mean, when he fought Manu, I thought he looked like complete garbage. I mean, his footwork, just the, his cardio. Now he's got cardio on it. You know what I'm saying? That's always been like his, his issue because, you know, when he gets tired, like when he fought Glover or when he fought Bader, you, you know how those fights ended up. They ended up him looking really bad. But, I mean, in the past, Corey Anderson probably would have been able to, you know, stay conscious and hug his legs. But my boy OSP was able to capitalize on, you know, Corey not having any chin. And uh, you know who else has a, a suspect chin, Dan? Uh, my boy, the horseback Latifi. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Now, granted, both guys have been knocked stiff because, you know, the Bader KO is bad. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that the, the, Bader the KO was fucking bad as shit. <laughs> but the, the, Manoa, the Manoa KO was just as bad, in my opinion, because, you know, his leg got folded back up. But, you know, it's a super tough fight to call because, you, you know, on paper, you would think the longer this fight goes – you know, we'll probably favor Latifi because, you know, he probably is the more efficient fighter when it comes to winning on the scorecards like how he did his last fight. And, you know, he probably is more efficient when it comes to, you know, weaseling, you know, and out positioning in comparison to OSP. But when it, come, when it comes to, you know, touching chins and handing out canvas snaps, you know, I think OSP has the edge. And I think if he can keep his distance, how tall is Latifi, Dan? Five foot eight. And how tall is OSP? Six foot three. Exactly. So if my boy can stay on the outside, blast him with that left kick, touch him up with that straight left, I can see a possible, you know, a Pat Cummins-like performance, uh, that type of KO, or a head kick, or a knee, you know what I'm saying, as uh, Latifi's ducking in, because, you know, he does like to duck that head a lot. He is 5'8". All short guys like to duck that head. So I'm, I'm going to go with OSP here by uh, 
KO within, you know, two rounds. But, of course, this could be sketchy because both guys have been KO'd. Latifi, you know, has put several people down. But when Latifi puts guys down, you know, it's it's the bums of the division. It's the Sean O'Connells. It's the hand stringers. It's the, you know, it's the fucking uh, Chris, Chris Dempsey. Dempsey of the world. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he really hasn't put anyone down that was legit. But um, OSP has. So I'm going to go with OSP. I think he's been the best form of his career. He's been down here in Atlanta training with Manu getting that solid work in. And, you know, he doesn't strike me, you know, as like a Brunson, you know what I'm saying? You know, when Brunson gets hit with a big shot, it's, it's pretty much over. OSP will actually bite down. you got to put him out cold. So I'm going to go with OSP. Yeah, my boy Vince went five rounds with John Jones. And, you know, people can make all the excuses they want for John Jones for not finishing that fight. But John Jones finished his very next fight against Daniel Cormier. So, you know what I'm saying? My boy Vince on his best day can go the five-round distance with the GOAT. And I actually do think that Latifi's KO loss to Bader was 10 times worse than uh, OSP's to Manoa. And I'll tell you why. So Manoa got dropped, and you know then he tries to grab the fence to help him back up, and then he gets dropped again, and he goes out. But when Latifi went out, it was one of those, like, he's still out five to ten minutes later, and you're like, is this dude alive? <laughs> or as with Vince, you know, he got knocked out. It, you know, his leg went behind his back and all this shit. It looked bad, but, you know... Ten seconds later, he was he was on his stool, right? But with Latifi, it was one of those like, you know, let's cut to commercial break because we don't want to see this guy. It was like Jake Ellenberger versus Mike Perry. You know what I'm saying, man? Like, was it was it what is, what is it as bad as Grabowski and Anthony Hamilton? You know what I'm saying? It was like one of those where you know you take the edibles and then you you at first you're cheering and then you fear for the guy's life. It was one of those knockouts and. I think Vince is capable of handing him another one like that, man. What I love about Vince's game, you go back and specifically watch the Pat Cummins fight because I assume that Latifi is going to have a similar game plan here, which is to try to get Vince down on the mat. That Vince get-up game is serious shit, even in the Corey Anderson fight, man. When you try to hold a guy like O. Vince down, uh, he knows exactly how to push that head down. He knows how to wall walk. He knows how to get back up to his feet. He knows how to pull that leg out. And that's a very important quality you need here against, you know, a little brick house like Alir Latifi. Now, Latifi does have a puncher's chance as well. We know he swings a big overhand right, but, you know, he's knocking out the the cans of cans of the world. I mean, we're talking Sean O'Connell. It doesn't get any worse than Sean O'Connell. I mean, Sean O'Connell's so fucking bad that Corey Anderson finished him. You know what I'm saying? Corey Anderson looked like a future world champion against that guy. That's how bad the guys that Latifi's knocked out are. And then, you know, he's going to decision with Jean Vellante. What was his? Oh, he beat Tyson Pedro. Congrats. You know, I'm not going to talk shit now, but uh, between you and me, you know, con- congrats on that win. I, you know what I'm saying? But I, yeah, don't, don't, talk, don't talk shit about Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I think my, my boy Vince is going to take care of biz. I think he's going to get taken down a couple times, get back up, and somewhere along the way it's going to be a big knee. It's going to be a big high kick. It's going to be a big, a big straight left. Whatever it is, I got Ovin St. Peru to win the fight outright and uh, most likely inside the distance. So uh, OSP gets a four-fight win streak here. Co-main event of the evening. We got Jessica Andrade. She's minus 320. The comeback on Tisha Torres is plus 260. Now, Shaq, it's, this is probably the only time and the last time you'll ever see a plus 260 next to Tisha Torres' name. Now, I heard on record you called her Tisha Money Train Torres. So when you're making claims like that, uh, are you taking this plus 260, my man? I mean, she is a money train. I bet Tisha every fight. Granted, every fight, every fight. I mean, I've been Tisha in all her UFC fights, and um, only lost one time. And that one time, I thought I won, you know, against the champion Rose. Um, so I mean, I bet her in every fight. But granted, that's against you know Juliana Lima, 
Quitter, Watterson, Quitter. Beck Rawlings. Uh, Rawlings, Quitter. Never heard of her. Uh, Jocelyn, Le- Jocelyn Leibarger, garbage. Uh, uh, Angela Magana, garbage. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, her opponents Her opponents are nowhere near the level of Jessica Andrade, and her opponents gave me no fear at all. So I always played that minus 400 or minus 380 because, in my opinion, it was always a guaranteed win because I trust Tisha. But in this fight, you know, it's super tough because all you have to do is go watch Andrade's last fight, and, you know, (laughs) that'll put the fear in you. Now, granted, you know, seeing that number next to Tisha's name, of course, you know, it, it sounds like a good idea, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm not in the business of hoping things win and seeing things win. I, I need to know for a fact things are going to win. You know what I'm saying, bro? So, you know, it was something, uh, you know, I, I definitely had to pass on, but be just because it's not, when Andrade hits, when Andrade hits chicks, man, you know, you know the deal. Like, everyone besides Joanna, I think, you know, Andrade, I don't know what the deal, because we better against Joanna, I think, and, you know, touch that chin. And what happened in Joanna's next fight was exactly what we uh, wanted in Josh to be. We're one off. <laughs> and, uh, one off, you know what I'm saying? I was thinking that was going to be the time Joanna got knocked off, uh, and it didn't happen. And, you know, like I said with uh, her earlier when she fought Angela Hill, all uh, Andrade does is hooks and hooks, and, you know, big looping punches. So, you know, Tisha can time her with the straight punches and, you know, respond to the shots well and, you know, bite down and, you know, not wobble and back into the fence like everyone else in Josh fights, then, you know, it's going to be tough. And I actually think Chisa will respond to the shots better than everyone else. Will it be enough to get the win? Because we know when Josh throws, the crowd's going to be going, ooh, 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 oh, oh. So, and Tisha's such a, a fighter that relies on staying ahead and, you know, how does Tisha win fights? By decision, every single time besides one. So that's why I was super sketched out on it. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm I'm gonna take Tisha just because I I always roll with my girl Tisha, but uh you know it's definitely something I gotta pass on pass on just because in terms of winning the decision I definitely see Andrade being able to land the shots that uh you know make the crowd go ooh and ah. You know it's interesting because I know people that'll bet Torres by decision every single fight, and if they decide to do that here, it's plus three sixty for the decision prop for Tisha Torres now. On the feet, I don't think it's as big of a mismatch as people think. I do agree Jessica Andrade has the power advantage, and you know, but I, I think Tisha Torres is way more technical with her striking and that if Jessica starts oh, loading sure. if Jessica starts loading up on those big shots, I think she can eat some straight down the middle. But the biggest issue that Tisha has, and she's always had this issue, this has never been fixed, is not only her takedown defense, but her get-up game, because it's it's not on point, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, if she gets taken down, that round's over right there. She ain't going to get back up. I mean, unless she's fighting uh, Juliana Lima. Yeah, but she ain't fighting Juliana Lima. She's fighting Jessica Andrade. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is a spot where you need a get-up game, and that that's what I'm most worried about, because you see a plus 260 next to a girl like Tisha who is – you know, has a 90% win rate pretty much. And, you know, she wins mostly every fight she's in. And she's consistent. She usually wins by decision as well. You kind of, as a betting man, I'm tempted. But the thing is, I understand what I'm up against. Now, if this was a pick I got Andrade all day. But at current line, minus... If this was a pick I'm not even going to lie. I might even... I'd probably bet Andrade. Yeah, but at minus 320 plus 260, it's it's Tisha or pass. And now you got to start thinking about, okay, what's going to happen if this hits the mat? And I kind of feel like Tisha's not going to be able to get back up. So, you know, you got to lean on Draj's way. But if this stays standing, man, don't be surprised if my chick uh, 
or Raquel's chick. Sorry, Raquel. You know what I'm saying? Don't be surprised if Tisha, you know, outpoints Jessica on the feet. And a lot of people are saying, you know, Tisha's a lot smaller. And, you know, Andrade is a stocky chick. But, man, I've seen Tisha in person. And, I mean, her shoulders, bro, are gigantic. I mean, her shoulders are just as big as mine. So, you know, I'm not <laughs> buying that Andrade has such a big, uh, you know, size advantage because Tisha's like a super built chick. Oh, yeah. No, I, I've known Tisha a long time. I'll tell you firsthand. I know she, uh, you know, got some size on her. She's, she's durable, too, Shaq. You know what I'm saying, man? So uh, she, she can take it if you know what I mean. But uh, that being said, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, though, man, uh, you know, the power that Andrade brings to the table, you know, because a lot of people need to realize she dropped two weight classes from 35 down here to 15. I know people want to use a cute story and say, oh, Tisha Torres' girlfriend Raquel Pennington beat Entourage, so therefore she's got inside info. Yeah, okay, I don't. Andrade, any... Andrade beat her. Andrade beat her too. Yeah, I know, but the but the second time uh, Raquel yeah. finished her, but I don't put any stock in that because that was at thirty five. You don't got Raquel fighting for you. This is at one fifteen. It's a completely different matchup. So what if you have insight? You could get that same insight by watching the tape. We know we know what Jessica brings to the table. There's no secrets. Raquel can tell Tisha that Tisha couldn't have figured it out on her own with her coaching staff that watches the tape in detail. So, you know, I don't put any stock into that whatsoever. It's just about, you know, is uh, Andrade going to do, you know, one of these mistakes that she likes to do, which is after teeing off on you, you know, give up her back. Remember when Sarah Morass took her back? And it's just, is Andrade going to fuck up somewhere along the way? Most likely Andrade is going to win this fight. So, you know, you got to pick her. But at, at current price, it's, it's dog or pass 100%. So, you know, if you go and you bet Tisha Torres, I hope you cash because how sharp would it be saying you bet Tisha Torres at plus 260 and cashed? I think that'd be pretty fucking sharp, man. So... My pick is Andrade, but betting perspective is dog or pass at this price. Main event of the evening. We got Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens. He's plus, excuse me. We got Jeremy Lil Heathen Stevens. He's minus 160. The comeback on Josh Emmett is plus 140. Now, uh, you know, uh, my boy Lil Heathen, I, I don't want to talk trash about, about him because he's one of my favorite fighters to watch, but you know, he's got the most losses in UFC history. So the reason I bring that up is when you see Jeremy Stevens at minus money, are you obligated to take the dog? He also has the second most fights in, in the in the uh, company's history as well. So, and he's fought literally everyone. So, I'm not gonna put stock into him having the most losses. I mean, if he would have fought uh, to go, I mean, that record against that competition, I mean, it's kind of good if you honestly think about it. Max Holloway, Elkins, uh, Moicano, Swanson. Uh, I mean, he fought a who's who, Pettis in his prime. Uh, I mean, the guys fought every everyone, Cerrone, um, Lozon, uh, Tebow. I mean, everyone. So, I mean. Uh, this is he's definitely he's got me more experienced than pretty much anyone he fights. Um, as far as the fight goes, um, you know he is. This is a super quick turnaround. He was already in shape for a five round fight. He didn't have to get out of shape, so he's just jumping right back in there. And you know Josh Emmett. I mean, I felt like when you know he made that drop to 145, you know I felt like he could be a problem in the division just based on his size, man, and his punching power. You know at 155. Um, the guys at 155, you know, think about all the heavy hitters at 155. You know, Emmett's power ain't really, I mean, it's just average at 155, even though he still, you know, hurt John Tuck, he hurt Scott, Scott Holzman. But those guys at 55, everyone at 155 can crack, you know what I'm saying? So his power just doesn't uh, really, you know, add up with the top guys at lightweight in terms of punching power because everyone at 155, at least in the top 15, hands out canvas snaps on the reg, you know what I'm saying? So him dropping to 145, 
I felt instantly he was going to be a problem. You know, I picked him to be Lamas by KO. You know what I'm saying? So I felt, but we know that Lamas, uh, Lamas's history, his chin history is uh, not the best. But I mean, Max Holloway couldn't put him out. But like I said, I feel like Emmett's got serious power early. And I feel like Jeremy better be careful because we have seen Jeremy, you know, take a canvas nap before. Granted, it was super long ago, but, you know, like I said, Emmett's a 55er. I, I still stand to that by this day. I don't think he's a natural 145er. I think he's just a guy that's tough, and I think he's a guy that will put his body through hell to possibly make the 145 weight. But he's make no mistake about it. He's a natural 55er. The thing that worries me about this fight is if the fight goes – to the fourth and fifth round, a guy with those type of muscles and that big muscle body, is it going to be able to, you know, those muscles need oxygen, Dan. You know, we know the history of guys with muscles. I mean, those muscles got to be able to breathe. And fourth and fifth rounds, I think the fight could definitely get hairy. And I feel like Stevens might be able to run away with it in the fourth and fifth. But early, I think Emmett has honestly a good chance to put him out because I truly believe that his power is just on a different level than these featherweights are used to. Like, Jeremy's used to getting hit by Duho Choi. Like, you know, people would say, Duho's got power, but let's be honest here, Duho, Duho was a fraud. You know what I'm saying, bro? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Moicano, Moicano, you know, hits nothing like how uh, Josh Emmett's is going to hit him. Moicano's a, a counter-striker. You know, Cub Swanson ain't going to hit him as hard as Emmett's going to hit him. So this is going to be his first fight where he's truly in there with someone, in my opinion, that hits harder than harder than them. And we already know the, the history of uh, Jeremy Stevens handing out canvas snaps. He's got a highlight reel of disgusting KOs. But, like I said, Emmett's a 55-er. And uh, I think Jeremy's going to quickly find out, man. I think I think he's a legend, but I just think the power's going to be too much, man. I think uh, I think Emmett's going to put him down within three rounds. But if it gets to the fourth round, then uh, I think Emmett's going to be probably – on a quest to survive and just hold on because I think his muscles won't be able to uh, breathe in those uh, fourth and fifth rounds and he's cutting a shit ton of weight. So, but I think Emmett puts him down within the first three. Yeah, I could totally see that man, because Emmett's a little powerhouse. Every time I talk about his fights, you know, I say the same thing. He's the kind of guy you hit him with your hardest shot. You're going to break your hand on his forehead. He's one of those guys, but now his power is really translating at 145 pounds. I know he missed weight for his last fight, but I don't, consider it a tractor Prezera situation or a, or a Alex Cowboy situation where they cheated and missed weight by, you know, five, six pounds to get an advantage. I think Emmett tried to kill himself to make weight and he simply missed, you know, it was short notice. It was what it was. But here, I expect him to come in here, make weight. And the first three rounds of this fight, like you mentioned, they're going to be super interesting because I do think Emmett has, you know, the capability and the potential to hand out Jeremy Stevens a canvas nap. But at the same time, man, those later rounds, man, when he starts to slow down, we know Jeremy Stevens has that full experience of going the five-round distance. We saw that Cub Swanson fight. And also, in many of his three-round fights, he always goes all three. So Jeremy's cardio is not an issue here. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to be a Jeremy Stevens KO because when we talk about Jeremy Stevens winning by KO, that only happens once every two years. And he just got his knockout win out the way. You know, Before it was Bermudez, then he took two years off uh, from knocking people out. Now he just knocked out Duo. So it's going to be about another two years until Jeremy knocks someone out again. You know what I'm saying? If history repeats itself. But that being said, I think that Jeremy, if he somehow weathers this storm in the first three rounds, I think he can come back and, uh, you know, Get a 48-47 decision here, but it's going to be a super, super tough fight. 
the experience of Jeremy is a big thing here, man, because like you said, he's been in there with everyone. He's been in there with Frankie Edgar, fucking Max Holloway. The only person he hasn't been in there with is Jose Aldo, and Josh Emmett ain't been in there with him either. Interestingly enough, it's interesting we never saw uh, Ricardo Lamas versus Jeremy Stevens. You know, that would have been a good fight. That's one that it's somehow... funny because uh, it's funny because Jeremy actually got offered that fight. He he was the one that was supposed to step in, but allegedly he said he couldn't do it. So oh, interesting. I wonder why. But yeah, exactly. you know, Emmett, uh, he proved he's a top five guy by beating the number five guy on planet Earth. Uh, it is what it is. But now, you know, he's taking on Jeremy and, Stevens. You know, another thing is, you know, Emmett. I mean. I almost feel like he's in the same spot, you know, going into the Lamas fight as he is in this one because let's not forget he missed weight. He had a, a, a deduction of his money, you know, taken away. If he would have made weight, he would have got 50K. You know, he would have changed his life. He would have probably, you know, <laughs> been uh, blowing that money. But he's still broke, bro. He still ain't got shit. He's still a, a still a, a early-level UFC fighter in terms of, you know, the money he has that he's made. And, I mean, he's still looking at Jeremy Stevens like a steak, like, I got everything to gain out of this guy. Yeah, 100%. So, again, it comes down to the first, you know, two to three rounds of the fight. If he can get Jeremy Stevens out of there, if he can swing a big left hook. You know, and he's got good setups, too. One thing I like about him is he switches stances and, you know, he mixes things up. He's got that alpha male style. He's kind of like a better version of Chad Mendes. So, you know, he could trick Jeremy up because we know the blueprint's been out there for years on how to beat Jeremy. But at the same time, these last couple guys to beat him, like Moicano and Holloway, they're tall volume strikers. And fucking Emmett's a short power puncher. There's a big difference there. That's why I think Emmett's got to get it done early, man, because I think Jeremy can take over in those later rounds. And when Jeremy starts to turn up, man, Jeremy really turns up, man. Jeremy hurts some very experienced guys. So in my opinion, it's a tough fight to call. I do kind of think it's dog or pass, though, because I ain't trying to lay down a minus 160 on a guy like Jeremy, you know, uh, who loses half the fights he's in, man. You know, you and I respect the guy a lot. He's been in the UFC forever. He's fought everyone. But the, the facts are facts, you know. he He's basically a 500 fighter. So I, I'm going to, oh, man. But I kind of lean towards Jeremy in the later rounds. And when I'm picking fights, I want to pick the guy who I think would win if it went the full distance. And that is Jeremy Stevens. So I'm going to go with him reluctantly. But this might be a live betting situation. You know what I mean? You might want to start off with Emmett at that plus money. And then if you know, he might come out hard, and if he starts to fade, you live bet Stevens in between rounds. But uh, I'm going to go with Stevens by decision here. Now, uh, before we hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute, uh, you want to run this promo, man? I mean, yeah, man. Um, this weekend's going to be a solid weekend for us. we probably got two or three plays. I think they're all going to win, and, you know, moving forward, I mean, next week's going to be a big week. You know, possibly two max bets on the, on the line next week in uh, Las Vegas. And um, things are just going to be good. We got that win last week. Now uh, we start tasting more. Sign up today. You're dealing with people that are dedicated to this 100%, that do this 24-7. Look, my clients, they get a, they get a week advance notice. I told them, you know, after the awesome event, what we're looking for the next week. So you can already go ahead and know what you're going to play when that line comes out because we know a lot of guys miss the good opening lines. By the time they get the line, the line's already steamed. But when you got a guy that's telling you, what to play before in advance, now you're prepared. So when that line comes out, you already know what to do. So you don't have to do any tape study. And by the time you finish with the tape study, the line's already steamed. All that's being done. And uh, we get the job done. If you're a real serious better, then you know that 
one event ain't shit. You know that one month ain't shit. You know that it's all about how do you perform each year, year in and year out. And there's no one better in the game than Daniel Levy and Shaq at best fight picks. Three-year track record, never had a losing year, and 2018 is not going to be the exception. This will not be our first losing year, my man. In fact, I expect it to be our best winning year because with every uh, year you, you do playing this game, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be that moment where you go through you know, that cold, that, that skid, that dry patch, and it happens. It can happen at the end of the year. It can happen at the beginning of the year. But if you're a real, true player in this game, you get past that. You don't let that bother you because you know your path. You know your strategy. You know what you're trying to accomplish long term. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is win long term. That's what we've done for the last three years. And that's what's going to happen this year as well. And now we're about to get on a streak starting this Saturday at UFC Orlando. It's going to be our second winning event in a row. And uh, things are just going to heat up from here. So you sign up at bestfightpicks.com. Go to maxbetseason.com. Hit up that VIP package. Make sure you let us know that you heard this promo here on the podcast so we can hook you up with a discount. And like I said, a lot of, there's a lot of new things going on, you know, with the odds makers these days. And, I mean, just expect a lot of gifts. And, I mean, if you don't catch them in time, you know what I'm saying? Look, for example, this past, this past weekend we were going to have a play on my boy, uh, the Quebec kid, Olivia Albon-Mercier. I asked any of my clients. I told them days out in advance. Look, I think possibly OEM uh, gets disrespected on the opener because, you know, his last fight. But make no mistake about it, he was going to butcher that that uh, that little fatty uh, Gilbert Burns. And, you know, they opened at minus 105, which was a gift in my opinion. And, you know, my clients uh, knew to hammer that right away. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's too bad that fight's not happening. But just to give you an example of what this VIP service does, we got that line at minus 105, and we hammered it all the way to minus 230. You understand what I'm saying here, Shaq? That's why you got to know these things in advance, because how pissed off would you be as a client if we gave out a minus 105 play, then all of a sudden it's minus 230, you can't bet it. Whereas with us, with our VIP service, we let you know in advance, you see that minus 105, you hammer it right away too. Exactly. So like in comparison to some you know, other services where the line's already out and you're not getting the plays for the, the day before and it's already steamed and it's minus 300 or minus, you know, whatever it is, why not, you know, a week out before the card even starts? Like, look, this is a spot where I am. So, like, when that line does come out, you know, you already know. You don't have to ask any questions. You don't have to wait for an email. You know when this line comes out, play it because we're prepared and we, uh, we're always prepared. If you're following someone and they don't have an extensive track record, then you shouldn't be following them at all because anyone can go on a one-month run. Anyone can go on a one-week run. Anyone can go on a two-month run. But not everyone can go on a three-plus-year run. And, uh, and another thing with all these, like if you honestly you know, look at some of these Capper Tech profiles and, and better MMA TIS profiles and you honestly think these guys are playing 11 units per play, like, like – Come on, guys! Like you can't, you can't. We can't be falling for shit like that. That's not real betting. That's not real money. You know what I'm saying? We're not frauds here. We bet real money with our money, and we try to manage it the best way we can and help out our uh, clients that way. You know, it's funny because now that we launched the service, you know, you got the man. You got some weirdos out there. You got these guys living on our Instagram feeds. You got these guys living on our Twitter, living on our YouTube feeds. You know, we appreciate the attention, <laughs> you know, but man, you guys gotta. Got to get your shit together. You know what I'm saying, Shaq? Well, you know, by the way, I just want to go ahead and say, you know, if anyone's, 
you know, trying to sell you uh, packages from uh, maxbestseason.com, bestfivepicks.com, and it ain't Dan or Shaq. It's a fucking fraud, and, and it's a, uh, and you know, I would, I would uh, say what I really want to say, but you know, I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to be a professional. I'm not going to, you know, uh, call the, you know these jobbers out their names and whatnot. But if anyone tries to sell you anything from maxbestseason.com, and it ain't from MMA Genius 05 or bestfivepicks.com, it's a fucking fraud, and don't do it. And, you know, I love all my haters. I need haters, you know. I need people thinking about me. You know, keep talking about me. It keeps it motivates me. So I love all my haters. And I love all the people that send me good messages on a consistent basis, you know. These days I'm generally not that uh, active on Twitter. But, I mean, anyone can message me and I'll respond. I mean, that's just how this game goes. As you increase, you know, uh, your haters, uh, they increase as well, man. Like I said, you got these weirdos living on our Instagram feed, on our YouTube, on our Twitter. And it's like, use that energy to build something positive. Use that energy to bump up your friend's podcast that only does 50 listens because, you know, we're good with our 7K audience for now. Don't get me wrong. We want to reach 100K, but don't worry about us, man. You got to worry about helping your friend out that only gets 20 listens per episode. I just think it's weird that, like, like aren't we aren't we grown man like why would i wake up thinking about like how like of messing with another grown man like i i i just thought you know i don't know maybe i I guess i just have a life you know i don't know no it's funny because at first you know i I thought some of the shit was kind of funny oh haha but then it's like so when you're on vacation you think about me too (laughs) like why are you thinking about me like i don't think about other grown man when i wake up i think about what we're gonna play the following week like i'm not thinking about a guy with a twitter profile that's obsessed with me and making comments about me i mean i think it's cute and all like that he has a crush on me and he probably needs a friend in life but you know it's kind of weird it's kind of creepy to be honest it absolutely is i mean that's a stalker 101 but listen we do have secretary (laughs) positions available so you know just uh just so you haters know that shit but uh it but is what it is, man. We're, we're looking, focused we're, on winning, looking, and they're focused on us. We're looking for a secretary. We got a lot of emails to respond to, and it's and it's super hectic. So if any, uh, if you wanna, if I mean, if that, if the people that I'm talking about are fans and they need a friend, I mean, I'll be your friend. I mean, of course, man. Like, if you need a friend, you need something to do. You know. And my DMs are open if you want to talk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but if I, you need an internet hug, I'm here. Like I said, man, we're focused on winning. And they're focused on us. And uh, that's what happens when you have the number one MMA betting podcast in the world. That's what happens when you have the number one MMA betting record in the world. It's just, it comes with the territory. It is what it is. You know, of course it's time to keep winning. And so what if a couple is a a losing month? There's 12 months in a year. And uh, just just get back to me in a couple months. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, straight up. The numbers are going to keep coming. That's all I got to say about that. And uh, let's hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is the seven-times DraftKings qualifier himself, Kyle Marley. Kyle, how's it going? Hey, man, not bad. Uh, I'm liking these events every weekend, so I'm glad we got one coming up. Well, man, there's only two left for this stretch. You know, someone told us it was going to be 11 events in 11 weeks, and uh, I think they're full of shit, Kyle. I wish, man. I wish it was every weekend because when there's no UFC, I don't know what to do with myself. I know, right? Especially with no football at the same time. I mean, what exactly are we supposed to do between uh, March 17th and April 7th? Uh, It's just going to be brutal. I have no idea. Well, that means we better win this event and the next. And, uh, you know, right off the bat, man, I can see Mike Perry is probably the most expensive fighter this week. And 
for good reason because you know 100% of his wins are by KO. So if he wins this fight, he's most likely covering that $9,400 salary cap. And uh, I assume he's going to, man. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would say he probably does too. If he gets the W, I think this is going to be a firefight and he's probably going to win with a knockout. So I think um, even if it's a late knockout, he's probably going to put up enough strikes and knockdowns to where he's going to put up over 100 with a win. Uh, so I like him quite a bit. Uh, my only problem is I do think it's going to be a war, so maybe he gets clipped and dropped in the first round. If he gets knocked out in the first round, you're going to need some uh, Griffin on your team. So I might have a, a lineup or two with Griffin, but Perry's definitely the pick here, and uh, I think he can pay off the value. The problem is he's the highest-priced guy on the card, so he's pretty much got to score the most on the card, but it's not out of reach. Now, if you have Griffin on your lineup, I mean, is it going to be a sneaky play like Diego Ferreira last week where it's, you know, 6,800, 6,900 and goes out there and surpasses that salary cap by a mile? Yeah, I mean, it could be because it could be a late first round knockout where they're both just swinging and he's already got 30 significant strikes and two drops. Uh, so he could outscore everybody as the cheapest guy on the card. I just don't think it's very likely. Um but I can't fade him completely for that reason. So, yeah, if he pulls off a CDF, then he, you're going to need him for sure. So, Ovince St. Bruce taking out Latifi. And I feel like we've been seeing Ovince for a long time, and now he's finally starting to reach his potential. Or you can make the argument that the three guys he fought in his last three fights, you know, he would have beat them no matter what. But that being said, man, I think he's got a lot of momentum going into this one. He's taking on Latifi, who is a perennial top out. You leading a certain way? Yeah, I like OSP in this one. Uh, and they're both right in that mid-range, so he's only 8,300 this week. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get the knockout, but I think he wins by either knockout or a decision. Uh, if he goes to decision, it's going to be tough to pay off the 8,300 just because I think he will be a little bit cautious of Latifi. Um, so I don't know how much exposure I want, but he's definitely my pick. Uh, but if you think Latifi can go and get those takedowns, uh, you got to find the dog somewhere. So maybe that could be a way to go. I just don't think it's for me. You know what's interesting is that Tisha Torres is plus 260 in a fight, you know, because her only loss is to Rose Namajunas. You never see that kind of number next to her name. But at the same time, she is taking on Jessica Andrade, who absolutely bullies these girls. So do you think the price is right, or will you be having some Tisha Torres on your lineups? Oh, man, I don't know. I think... I think the price is, is about right. I mean, Andrade is scary, dude. She throws punches like she is a man, uh, and I don't think anybody else in the women's division does that. Uh, Tisha's good, though. She's definitely going to be trying to pick her spots and stay on the outside, I think. Maybe she'll try and get some takedowns. But after Andrade, seeing what she did to Claudia, I mean, what's Tisha really going to do that she hadn't already seen? I'm not sure. So Andrade is my pick here, but I think – uh, Torres might be a safe cash punt because uh, I do think it probably goes to a decision and maybe she could put up 20 points in a loss and she's pretty cheap so that'll uh, allow you to get some other favorites on your team but Andrade is the pick here and I would just hope that it's a, a three round <laughs> three round clinic of her throwing punches and then Tisha picking her spots and losing the decision. The argument you can make about why it won't be like the Claudia fight is because Torres historically has better cardio than Claudia Gadelia, but that being said, her weakness is the takedown defense, and we know Andrade loves to pick these chicks up, walk them across the octagon like Matt Hughes, and slam them, and most likely Torres won't have an answer for that, but if somehow this goes to the later rounds and Andrade is huffing and puffing, that's where Torres could potentially 
take over, but the physicality will most likely be too much, you know? Yeah, I'm actually kind of looking forward to this one. Uh, I do think people will be really heavy on Andrade, so if I don't hear anything about Torres all week, maybe I'll have to throw her in some lineups just because she is super cheap. And if she can pull off that upset, you're probably killing 50% of lineups, and then your 5 to 10% of people on Torres are really going to be at the top of leaderboard. So I don't know. I might have to make some of those some of those chances. I just really have a hard time seeing it happen in my head. You know what I mean? So this main event between Josh Emmett and Jeremy Stevens, hell of a fight now. Josh Emmett's coming off knocking out Ricardo Lamas, and he's only 7,600. Is that uh, ironic at all? <laughs> I mean, it. I can see why he's the dog, but I would think uh, it would be a little closer of a line. Um, and since it's not, my pick is going to be Emmett. Uh, I think he can get this one. I think he has more ways to win. I think he can knock out Stevens. I think he can win the decision with some takedowns. Uh, whereas uh, Stevens, on the other end, is probably a knockout or bust in my mind. Uh, so I think it's a stack and cash scenario. Just get your points, take the win, and go. Uh, but you got to find the dog somewhere, and I think Emmett's going to be one of mine. You know what's a big favorite I like on this card, man? I like Alan Juban. I, I think that even though he's got a $9,100 salary cap and he has to go out there and finish this fight i think he will finish this fight you you feeling me on that one man or are you uh smelling a, an upset here yeah Juban's my pick there um i don't know how this one's gonna take place they both train at 10th planet so are they gonna try and test the ground game or are they gonna go out there and strike uh, i just don't really know how this is gonna play out but i think he's probably better wherever it goes maybe uh so he's my pick just got to worry about him getting knocked out uh, maybe some knees in the clinch or something, but is he going to pay off the 9,100? I'm not sure about that. I would, I would almost rather get Andrade or Perry and try and find other dogs somewhere else, but he's my pick, and if I only have 9,100 remaining and I can't get those other two favorites, then I have no problem with Japan. Now, speaking of other dogs, do you have any interest in a Russell Doan and Eric Shelton and Albert Morales? Yeah, Shelton. Uh, he's only 7,500. And he's a plus 120 underdog. So that's the best line value I'm seeing on the card. I think he's probably the best dog pick. Him and Emmett, I would say, are my favorite too. Uh, so I'll definitely have some Shelton in my lineups. But, yeah, other than that, uh, the other underdog I'd be looking at is Morales. Just because I'm not exactly sure where that one's going to play out. If we haven't seen too much of Bermudez on the feet. So if he can't get it to the ground, maybe it's uh, going to be Morales' fight. And I'll have to have some shots there. I know you're most likely passing on Sam Alvey, right, with his inactivity. Yeah, I never have Sam Alvey. <laughs> <laughs> Has there ever been a Sam Alvey fight where his opponent scored big? I mean, I'm sure Derek Brunson did. Yeah, Brunson did for sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't get to see their opponent fight log, so I'm not, I'm not sure. But he does not score big. He's only scored over 100, let's see here, twice on his log. 123 against Casey, but that was, that was just a one-sided fight. And then 104 against Dan Kelly. So, I mean, he's not going against those guys this weekend. So, I'm going to go ahead and full fade him like I usually do. Now, I heard you had a bet on uh, the chick fight. You care to share? Uh, the chick fight. We got three of them on this card, unfortunately. But, yeah, I like, uh, what's her name, Morose. Uh, just as a bet, I don't know about as much on DraftKings because she's 8,000. Hill's 8,200. Not a big gap there, but I took her at plus 140 last night, uh, so I think Moroz has a good chance to win this. If you are searching for dogs, uh, if you have the money to pay, I guess, on DraftKings at 8000 maybe you can go ahead and throw her in there because I do think she wins this. You know, uh, Ange- yeah, plus 140 is too good to pass up. You know Angela Hill is a very popular pick on Twitter, right? 
Is she good? That's good to hear. I don't really see her being popular on DraftKings, but I would like it if she was. Well, Kyle, thank you for uh, helping us out with our lineups and a free underdog play. That's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3 Kyle, any message for them before we talk next week? I got head-to-heads posted. Come see me. Yes, sir. Make sure you uh, challenge this man. But if you come at the king, you best not miss. And once again, that's why Kyle Marley represents half the battle. That's why he gives out the DraftKings advice. That's why he is the seven times DraftKings qualifier. And that's why he's on half the battle. Exactly, man. Kyle Marley is the DraftKings GOAT. You know, he is the three-time world champion in the uh, DraftKings. And, you know, if you're looking for those uh, DraftKings plays, he's the man. You got the two best handicappers and you got the best DraftKings guy. A hundred percent. And that's why we have the number one podcast in MMA betting. But now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC Orlando? You know, um, my fight to watch is going to be Brian Kelleher versus uh, Henan Burrell. I mean, this is a, a super pivotal spot for both guys. I mean, Henan, you know, I don't think he's going to get cut if he loses just because, you know, he is the former champion and the former pound-for-pound pound number one. But, I mean, if Kelleher wins this fight, he just beat a former champion, and that would have been something that was unthinkable a few years ago, and that would just solidify how crazy the sport of MMA is. And, I mean, if Henning can get this win, hey, he's back on track. He would have done something that, you know, he hasn't done since 2014 or 15, which is win a fight at Bantamweight. So that would be uh, super important for Henning's confidence level if he could get the win, and he needs this win. And if Kelleher w- wins this fight and gets another performance bonuses, that would be three out of four, and I mean – he would have already. He would have had a, a serious resume at that point. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, it's interesting because if Burrell does lose this fight, you know, he kind of enters that BJ Penn territory where you know he's the former champion, he's the legend of the sport, he has that name, but he just can't win fights anymore. And now we feed him to the young up and coming prospects. But for me, my fight to watch is Platinum Mike Perry versus Max Griffin. You know, if I had to call my friends and be like, "Look, there's one fight you got to watch on this card. It's got to be that one because you know for a fact." Griffin and Perry are going to stand and bang until one guy falls. And anytime you get a fight like that and you want to get new people into the sport, you let them know. You know, you get Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia. You let people know. Watch this fight. So make sure you go ahead and watch Max Griffin versus Mike Perry because I guarantee you most likely someone's taking a canvas nap. And if someone doesn't, it's going to be a three-round war because I highly doubt there's going to be a bunch of legs being humped in this fight. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Orlando? My fighter to watch is going to be OSP, man. Um, you know, light heavyweight, you know, we always know is very weak. And, I mean, if he can get this win, you know, I've always had this uh, idea in my mind ever since I heard a guy was possibly moving up to 205, you know, uh, Luke Rockhold. I mean, if OSP can get this win, you know, I'd love to see him fly, uh, welcome Luke Rockhold up to 205, you know what I'm saying? And, I mean, at 205, you're never really that far out of title contention. So, OSP needs this win. And, I mean, that would have been uh, four impressive wins in a row to almost losing four in a row. So, I mean, that would be a serious turnaround, and he attributes it to just training harder. Man, OSP versus Rockhold would be a hell of a fight. So, you know, let's see if uh, Ovince can get this win. But for me, my fighter to watch is Alan Juban, man. I mean, look, when this guy's on point, he's knocking dudes out left and right. And I feel like he's hungry here. I feel like he's got a point to prove. He said whether it's a walk-off left hand, whether it's a showtime kick, a cartwheel kick, he's looking for that knockout. He wants to put Ben Saunders out, and he wants to show that he's on the cusp of that top 15. And the only way to prove that is to not just go out there and win Shaq, but to go out there and emphatically finish the veteran Ben Saunders. And I think that's exactly what 
what Alan Juban's going to do here. So for that reason, Alan Juban is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday, UFC Orlando. It's an earlier card, so make sure uh, you don't miss the first couple fights. They can follow you at MMAGenius05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our Instagram account, Best Fight Picks Official. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes, and if you take a screenshot of that five-star review you gave us, we'll give you a free bet. Shaq, any message for them before we talk next week? Thanks for all the support I get on Instagram with the good messages to all my haters. I like you too. Keep it coming. And um, uh, good luck to everyone out there this weekend. I hope everyone gets a job done. Absolutely. Thank you to everyone for the support. We absolutely appreciate it. And to all the haters, you know, thank you for being invested. Thank you for caring about what Shaq and I do. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.